Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 195. Inching closer to that. Milestone episode 200, getting close. Um, we're here at the Bitcoin Podcast. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. And host number three, Corey. How are we doing today? Yeah. I'm not sick anymore, I don't think. I think I'm coming down off of it. I feel good. All those, all those babies you've been hanging out with. Mm-hmm. Babies get you sick, man. They're Petri dishes. We're not talking about like... 90 slang babies. We're talking about real live little children. Yeah. Okay. My, I have a niece audience. I don't just hang out with kids. Not fucking Pod Piper. Uh, it's, it's like a, a Samuel L. Jackson, the Dave Chappelle thing. But instead of beer, it's kids. They'll get you sick. Mm, they'll get you sick. Yeah. Pretty much <laughs> like that. So, uh, uh we got some support today for the show that I want to tell people at the top of the show about. Let them know. All right. So support for today's show comes from bookmaker.eu. Um, I, don't, I don't follow March Madness particularly, but this year I heard it was pretty crazy, like Seed 16 beating the number one team and all that. So I got some feedback that a lot of people in our audience actually took advantage of the offer and made some money. So we're going to keep that going. Um, bookmaker's a... Premier sports book servicing the U.S. for over 30 years. Uh, takes care of all your sports betting needs, both professional and recreational. So they're taking all those years of, of experience and kind of pivoting to crypto. That's kind of where we come in. So you can make all your sports picks with Bitcoin today at bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcasts. We got our own URL. And depositing with Bitcoin is fast, easy, and simple. Over 90% of bettors use Bitcoin to fund their bookmaker accounts and receive their winnings and they offer live in-progress betting on every major sporting event, which allows you to wager on the game in, uninterrupted from tip-off until final whistle. Bets are graded within seconds, and your winnings are credited to your account instantly. Withdrawals are free with same-day payouts in Bitcoin. Visit bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast today to sign up and claim your exclusive 100% welcome bonus. That's up to $300. Bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast. Uh, and we're also brought to you by my crypto. Wait, before there. you before you electric slide into the next one. Yeah. If I made a bet on a prediction market that Conor Conor McGregor would attack another bus, would you guys take that bet? Um, I think he's got to go for a twofer. I think he's got too much money, and he's too young. That's what I think. So I'll take that bet. Okay. Because he's a loose cannon. Let me head on over to Gnosis right now. That's me typing. <laughs> That's me running to Gnosis. 
But if you know anything about UFC, I don't want to derail. Uh, the headliner, because of Connor, like it's pretty much guaranteed Khabib's going to win. So if you want to make some money, you can bet on that other dude. And who you knows? Talib? Talib Kweli? Did not. That's racist. Different oh. country. Different guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> not yes. everything sounds like Talib Kweli, you racist. I apologize. Next. No, I'm just apologize. <laughs> Uh, we're also brought to you by MyCrypto, open source client-side tool for generating Ether wallets, handling ERC-20 tokens, interacting with Ethereum blockchain more easily. They operate as a fully transparent, compliant, legitimate organization. We like them. They've been around for about three years, and they're focused on building awesome products to put the power in people's hands. Visit MyCrypto.com. Follow them on Twitter, MyCrypto, and uh, you can email them at support at MyCrypto.com. All right. What are we talking yeah. about today? Talking about mm-hmm. listening to my other show, hashing it out like a boss. My, my crypto. We're also sponsored by Corey himself. Yep. Via I made another show. Hashing it out. You like yeah. listening to yourself? Uh, I don't listen to myself. Actually, I listen to myself a lot when I was taking out ums and awkward pauses and stuff during the post editing. And uh, I don't know. It's it's weird listening to yourself, but like this. For those who are listening, if you're wondering where it is and why is it isn't on the feed, it's on a different feed. You can search hashing it out on Spotify and find it. Mm-hmm. I get technical mm-hmm. on this show. And, do you find uh, yourself uh, saying um a lot more than you do on this show? No, I don't say um much. Who's saying um? Who's saying all the ums? It's people, typically when people are explaining things and they're trying to find the words, they just naturally say um. When they're thinking of how to explain the idea that's forming in their heads, instead of just pausing, you can just pause. But I think maybe being on a podcast or being recorded or talking online, they they feel like they need to feel the air with a little bit of audio, regardless if they aren't saying what they want to say. So they say things like, um, it's natural. I mean, you do it and when you're giving a speech or a talk too. See, I was trained on that. I don't say, um, you just pause with it. It gives dramatic expression. But doesn't that help with the cadence of what your, of, of your flow? I had a little Toastmasters mini class. Saying no, um, it not saying um. Oh, okay. It doesn't. Um, um actually will throw you off and get you, it's more likely to throw you onto a tangent than what you're supposed to be talking about. Well, so instead are... of saying um or like, you just pause with that shit. It's like, uh, it's like when a good rapper goes rapid fire, hits a bunch of hits a bunch of beats in a row, da 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 da, da, da and then he stops, and then he keeps going, da 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 da. You just stop, get your thoughts, and then you keep going. The audience loves that shit. Well, there are appropriate masters. times of saying um. When you when you need a moment to reflect on what someone has said without, well. Also, simultaneously letting them know that you you have heard it and you're processing it. Like you ask me a question and I don't quite know the answer, I'll be like, "Uh, I See, don't know." In Toastmasters Mini, they hit you with a. I like what you said there, Corey. Let's unpack that for a second. Then you pause, and then you answer the question or you yeah, reflect on what the person said. You don't need to be super perfect. Like I like what we do because it is normal this is how normal people talk like we're literally just having a conversation right now that's very true 
Well, Unpacking. we had some stuff that we wanted to talk about, right? Like we yeah. wanted to, um, like we wanted to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> so Vitalik basically, correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, but Vitalik stood up at the economy this year and he said, uh, said something along the lines of, listen here, Greg Wright, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to show you what a discrete logarithmic proof is actually about, buddy. Cause you're nothing but a punk ass bitch and I'm Vitalik and I'm here to lay the smack down on you and your mystery math. Oh yeah. That's, that's a good summary of what he said. Yeah. <laughs> you're so- up there presenting negative numbers when they by definition can't be negative. Oh yeah, brother. And that tells me something about you tells me all I need to know. You fraud. <laughs> I actually like this. And, and this isn't the first time that Vitalik has basically spoken out against Craig Wright. Um, the, the first time this happened, before we actually get into what he said or like what the deal was, is uh, when Craig Wright came out and said he was Satoshi and he was going to prove that he was Satoshi. And then everyone, was, you know, the whole community was up and about trying to, you know, evaluate whether or not what he said is true and what we should think, or is he, is he Satoshi? And he came out with like basically an argument that said, you know, simple information theory or, or I forgot how he explained it, but the gist of it was the simplest explanation wins. And like if it, he's gone through all of these crazy routes to try and prove that he's Satoshi. And more often than not, that means he's lying. Like just, as he he you know explained it in a much more reasonable logical way of saying it that makes a lot more sense than what I just said. But he from the very beginning he always thought that Craig Wright was a fraud. And during this conference that a lot of people were at, it was during a panel between uh, Roger Ver and Samson Mao, I believe. Um, then going back and forth about Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash, and since they're kind of adversarial if you will in terms of how they view these two networks and how they should scale it was a it was a good panel but something happened and something was said and Vatelic stood up and this was after Craig Wright had given a talk and said and said something about you know this is nonsense why are we even letting this man this fraud he calls him a fraud out loud speak at this conference there's no reason to believe anything that he says and I fully support that there's I don't I don't think that there's a reason to believe anything he says based on the types of things that he's done to gain a certain level of status. I mean, he, he clearly, in my opinion, shows signs of a sociopath of trying to gain a certain amount of status by projecting a certain amount of knowledge on, on the subject. And there doesn't seem to be any proof of a lot of the things that he says to back up what he says. He just makes giant, bold claims, appeals to emotion, and says things that people want to hear. Or overly complicates what he's saying to give this I, this illusion of understanding things that you can't possibly understand. So you should just believe them based on an authoritarian viewpoint. And this is something Vitalik was saying during his tweet storm of Craig Wright's talk is that he says a bunch of shit that doesn't make sense to anybody who understands the types of things that he's talking about. But to a, to a passive onlooker, 
it sounds so complicated. They're like, that must be right because it's so complicated. And he called, you know, basically Vitalik calls them non sequiturs. It's a bunch of things that don't make sense to the argument that he's making. And he said, uh, he said, my bullshit meter appears to be showing a negative value. Oh, wait, that's just an integer overflow. And it's like, I've never heard nerds argue before, and I'm pretty sure that's a really bad burn, but I don't understand. It. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really hard for me to follow who's getting burned. Yeah, the, uh, if I have to, I'm going to have to explain this burn, which makes it a good burn, is that the, it, it, it's so high that it's gone past the scale of what the meter is capable of doing, like an odometer. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, when your odometer hits 99999, it just goes back to one. It's like, my bullshit meter is so high that it's just, it's, it's turned over. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, but it just go positive and negative. So I didn't get that one either. That was, that was, <laughs> there's a certain amount of, in computer science, so you can only, f- a byte or a, you know, a certain size integer can only hold a certain highest integer. And it goes to a certain level because if you run out of space. So, someone needs to publish a uh, uh, 1001 high-level insult joke book or something. <laughs> I would love that. I, I can think of like a key pillskit cello where you're like, there's two nerd, like two hyper nerds going at it. <laughs> and you don't know whether to like go like, oh, shit, like or not. You're just kind of yeah. looking around the room waiting yeah. for everyone's response. <laughs> just waiting for Corey's reaction. Yeah, yeah. I'll follow his reaction. <laughs> oh, you just got I don't, even, I don't even know when the punchline's hitting. I'm just looking around the room. But yeah, I, I think I, it was it was cool as well that like I think his name's Poon. Isn't it Joseph Poon? Or am I thinking Poon. about it's Joseph Poon. Another Asian guy. Nope. The guy Poon. that worked on Lightning. Yep. Joseph Poon. He said that uh Vitalik said that uh Poon wait. Vitalik calling right a fraud. But Joseph Poon saying, I wrote the Lightning Network white paper and still didn't understand your talk was the real cherry on top. Yeah. And then they walked out like bosses. Did you guys see that part too? Like, did you watch the whole video? It's almost like they dropped the mic and they were like, I'm done with this. Like, if you're in a, in a movie where a boxer just, like, is, is on the stage and then another boxer in the crowd is like, yo, bloke, I'll take you any day of the week. And uh, says, your wife is ugly. And then they walk out of the room. It was kind of like that. I'm going to give you credit. I think when he said, I'm having a conversation, he was like, whoa, it feels good being assertive. I'm going to start doing this more often. Yeah, I think it, I it started, all started with you. It <laughs> all started with me. When I tried to get a selfie, with him, I said, hey, good job. And he was like, I'm having a conversation. It's like, damn. It's like, okay. I'm going to start doing this more often. What does that yep. mean, though? Like, I mean, that, uh, taking a step back and looking at it, from more of a bird's eye view, what does it mean when the people who are creating these things are finally calling each other out on the bullshit that they're saying? Because like, let's not, let's not get it twisted. There is a serious amount of shysters and people trying to pretend like they know what they're talking about to profit from the money that comes into this space. And um, for the longest time, the people who are legitimately doing things have been quiet and they haven't spoken up against them. I think uh, Zuku said it best when he said, that the reason why it works is people who know anything about the subject can't even begin to explain how incoherent these sentences are, but it leaves people who don't know uncertain about who really knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, from, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So I was just saying that's, that is a, 
common tactic of people who are trying to do scams is to operate on a level that seems ridiculously absurd to any of those to any possible dissenter that the person who would dissent assumes it's so ridiculous that everyone else gets it but it's not it's like people still fall for it but they never actually um get called out by the people who can call them out because everyone else just assumes that they get it too yeah, a, t a technical person isn't going to try to poke holes in a Nigerian scam. They just, I mean, like, it's better ridiculous. things to do with your time. It'll yeah. just repel you. That's a big part of it. They have better things to do with their time. I mean, you can you can become a crusader and spend all of your time doing this if you want to, but you're never going to actually get anything done because there's so many people doing it. I mean, it's like mm. the people, it's the people who are like commenting on Vitalik's Twitter feeds as a fake Vitalik asking for money. And it's so absurd, still absurd that people that are legitimate ignore it completely because they're like, how could anyone fall for that? But then next thing you turn around is like 35 people at least fell for that. And you're like, what? How? They're yeah, saying that, that the, they're saying that a, a, the scammer <laughs> speaks bad English on purpose because if they spoke proper English, I'm talking about Nigerian scams and all that. If they spoke proper English, they would just pick up a bunch of people who would eventually figure out it was a con and the scammer would have wasted all these hours trying to convince that person. Instead, they keep writing poor English as the person who would still fall for it would be much more likely to eventually part with their cash. Like there's some kind of mathematical data behind that. Yeah, there's a demographic if, that you're after. You want to go after the people who aren't capable of seeing the problems in your email because those people are more often than not not capable of making the same decision or, or realizing it's a scam and anybody who who's on the same intellectual level to say this is a ridiculous grammar is probably on the same intellectual level to say this is a scam and i'm not going to fall for it i'm going to try and report you mm. so you have to you have to, like scammers have spent a good portion of time finding their demographic of the people they'll be most successful with unfortunately those are the uninitiated and naive or just the purely dumb people mm -hmm. i mean let's think about this from outside of crypto right like people fall for some dumb shit and do some dumb shit with their money i've fallen for a scam before as a as a as a high school kid i bought some yep. some junk some jank ass speakers off the back of a van because they told me that they were they had a, their their order book who had too many speakers in it and they're trying to get rid of them before they go to this delivery and i was like oh i love my big speakers i have some cash at home but old, older you would probably just say like, oh, your demand's that high. Why don't you open a factory or something? I like would probably like... tell them to go fuck <laughs> themselves. But yeah, something like that. Go fuck yourself. Is that, what you, is that your standard reaction to all scams? Yeah, I would just look That's them in the reaction. face and say, go fuck yourself. The next time I go to a popular mall and someone's trying to tell, sell me cologne in the parking lot, you're going to get a hot go fuck yourself. Yeah, that, that email that you uh, res responded to with the, the weird solicitations we get all the time from people trying to sell things that don't need to be sold. Uh, oh, about and, the... Go ahead. Yeah, and I, my email would be a lot shorter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go fuck yourself. Send. Go fuck yourself. Um, um, yeah, let's move on. So there was something else you had, Cello, right? That's somewhat along these lines? Oh, what... Uh... No, I was 
just responding to what Goon Surreer was saying, but we kind of covered that. Okay. Breaking down um, different viewpoints on how this yeah. on how it went down. So. so just to add to you, Corey, you said, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Or Cello, I think you said, is this a good thing or a bad thing? I, for one, think it's a great. I think it's a good thing especially when people that are seen as leaders in the space, because it's not like a, just because this whole movement and this whole thing is decentralized and there can be no leader per se, and you do what you feel and it's all open source and yeah, kumbaya, kumbaya my ass. There's always going to be somebody that like people look to, to make the decisions or make the actions move. And I think when someone like Vitalik is standing up and like, the whole community sees it and he know he knew the whole community could see what he was about to do. And I was like, yeah, like that guy's a bullshitter point blank period. Like those are the kinds of things that needed to be said and done, especially when he called out Tron as well. Like that's what should have been happening prior to winter. Not some haters on Tron. Tron's still top 15. Yeah. No one's hating on Tron. Tron is a scam. Like there's no, like, there's no one's hating Tron. I like, think I think in that same thread that Vitalik called out, I basically just said, uh, "You have a more efficient typing algorithm by copying and pasting everything instead of writing unique material." Yeah. Like, right below that, the creator of Tron was like asking people to send him Ethereum. Like in the same thread. Really. I don't know, something like that. I may be making that up. Yeah. Someone said Justin Sun is his name. What's up? What's up? Send me some Ethereum. And so. I think it's a good thing um, because when the when the the, the quote unquote leaders of the community are standing up and trying to re- weed out the nonsense that trickles down to the behaviors of everyone else in the community, they're going to have their red flags up too. Maybe they're going to educate or re-educate themselves and be able to systematically like point out scams and bad bad news bears activity. And that's why I think it's a good. There's nothing confrontation has. A negative connotation, but confrontation is actually a great thing. Because well, nerd, nerd confrontation is good because it'll never go to violence. It'll just be like you're a non sequitur, and then that's good. It'll be healthy. Well, I mean, nobody said anything about violence. Well, oh, that's how I mean. Usually, confrontation leads to like rioting and no, it doesn't. Behavior confrontation leads to productivity. Nine nerd, times out of ten, nerd confrontation. I think a grown adult confrontation usually leads to productivity. Point I think blank period. Any 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 type of confrontation that leads to violence typically means that the person who initiates the violence can't stand on his own ground from an intellectual merit. So oh, they have absolutely. to take it somewhere else. Yeah, I agree. And 100%. More often than not, like you're saying, nerds are very confident in their intellectual prowess or their ability to argue and maintain mm-hmm. that argument and you know, stand behind their viewpoints so they don't ever need to take it to a physical point because they can continue having a conversation indefinitely. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. there are very small occasions on which fisticuffs are the common denominator. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes a bitch just needs to get slapped. Sometimes you just gotta slap a hoe. Sometimes like you gotta throw a dolly time. through a window. Yep. What if you're... What if you're out late with your buddies and you're you go outside <laughs> and you're drinking a beer and somebody comes up and they take your beer from you and they start drinking it in front of you. You can't reason with that person. You say, you know what, sir? Or madam, looks like we're gonna have to have a bout of fisticuffs because your behavior is so 
ridiculous. The only I way to resolve this is a duel. Is a duel. It's a duel. It's a gentleman's duel. It, <laughs> to clarify, okay. my definition of a bitch is not automatically a woman. I guess we have a podcast. We should probably make that distinction. <laughs> I don't think anyone said that. I don't think anyone even said that. Well, we you said sometimes that, you're but... going to slap a bitch. And you said, yep, sometimes a hoe needs to be slapped. And I would imagine someone could misconstrue that as domestic violence, which we are That's not just because into a lot of hip-hop music, Corey. Yeah, but a hoe can be a dude, too. That is definitely the reason why. <laughs> a hoe can be a dude, too. Not late 90s hoes. We're not talking about the hoes from Jaw Rules videos. I'm talking about just like somebody who is acting like a quote-unquote biatch. So that you... <laughs> jaw <laughs> Rule video. I can't hold it together. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I actually me... wanted to talk about Bitcoin, man. You want to come back after the, the interview? And, no, uh, man. We haven't even talked that long. Dude, the interview is short. There is a uh, much, much... So Vitalik has continued on with uh, his onslaught of Craig Wright online with like long posts about all of the ridiculous bullshit that he's saying with like sourcing and <laughs> I hope this did hope he this mess around and upset someone who's on the spectrum because Vitalik yes, is going did. to dig well, him deep this is the thing like is that I think I, no, the, the 62 tweet thing was not about Craig Wright that was just him discussing his opinions of all of the different talks at this particular conference and his viewpoint on the things that they were saying uh, Craig Wright maybe took up four out of that 62. Um, okay. And so the, the don't don't misconstrue like that long tweet. That was just him trying to convey what was the content of the of the uh, conference and his uh, personal opinion of what was going on there. And then that thing came up. And it, I think what happened and why this even became a thing is that it got to a point of such high ridiculousness and people were listening and following along and nodding their heads saying, yeah, yeah. That he's like, what the, what the hell is going on? I have to say something. And it, it, it like triggered him in a sense that it was, he had gone too far. And that was like the, if you look at him when he's talking, like it's that, it's that nervous anger of like, I, I don't. I didn't want to have to say this, but why the hell are we doing this? And why are you people listening to this stupid ass person? It wasn't like a, a thought at thought out way of. It, it was. It was a pure emotional response of dealing with something that he didn't think should have had should have had to have been dealt with, but had gone too far. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the state that we're in. Is that he wouldn't. He he's the type of person that doesn't address this type of stuff. But it gotten to the point where he's like, God, come on, man. Yeah. And, he, he, and apparently that, that trigger has continued. And he has just been like, you know, to further belabor the point, here's all the things I was talking about and all the ridiculousness that he says. Mm. So, not the well, person you want to piss off. Before we get into the interview, though, I do want to talk about Bitcoin because we, we've been the Bitcoin podcast for years. In like the last, I don't know, 15% of our episodes, we've actually discussed Bitcoin, um, which shows you a lot about the space because we grow with the space. We don't fight it. Like we could have been like Bitcoin maximalists, but that's dumb. You grow with reality, not fight it. So 
Um, Bitcoin has been making some advances that no one's really speaking to aloud. Like, we have to let these atrocities stop. The Lighting Network is growing fast, fellas. It's easy to develop on. It's got a capacity that's greater than 10 to 15 Bitcoin, somewhere in there right now. Um, There's seven apps that Blockstream alone showcased. So I'm going to go through those seven apps. There's vendor shopping, lightning apps, Nano POS, which is a point of point of sale system. There's WooCommerce Lightning Gateway, a, a, a comprehensive e-commerce application, uh, integrates with stock management and order tracking systems. So there's that. A content creator lightning apps, File File Bazaar, which is basically like you load up your files onto the Lightning Network, and anybody that wants to download them has to pay to download them. So you can charge, you can release um, uh, a giant folder full of art and charge 10 cents per art copy. And then when they download it, they get it. Awesome. Um, publisher for, for WordPress. So a patron, patronage model for unlocking WordPress blog entries. So you can give them a little taste of the blog, but if they really want to get the rest of those writings, they're going to, there's a paywall for it. They can pay with Bitcoin. Uh, micropayment apps. Um, if pay, then that. That's a pretty cool one. If you want to automate some processes, but then have people pay for that automation, if they pay, then the automation goes through. Um, just all kinds of stuff. There's a jukebox now, a lightning jukebox, and of course, tipping. So when it comes to new technologies, I, I listened to an interview recently. It's usually about the mind, where the mind share goes, where the developer mind share goes. And when Bitcoin had its tiffs two years ago, all the developer mind share, it was a mass exodus towards Ethereum, pretty much. And some forks of Bitcoin and then some other totally different blockchains. Um, and then everyone found out that it was easier to develop on those other blockchains too. But now with the onset of the Lightning Network, which is, from what I understand, easy to develop on. Are we going to start to see some of that sway back? Like, are people, is the conversation going to go away from, oh, Bitcoin's nasty, but blockchain is that goodness, back to, oh, wait a second, Bitcoin's actually really legitimate now, and blockchain is also legitimate. We've now gone into a different chapter. Possibly. Um, I, I think that, it's going to take a while before developing on the Lightning Network and Bitcoin will be as easy as developing on other platforms. And you're right. It is about where the developer mindshare goes. Um, and they're going to go to what they can what they can do to produce results quick and, easy, and easiest. And developing on Lightning Network is not as easy as developing on Ethereum. The amount of tooling infrastructure, tutorials, um, Places to go to get help is far, 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 far greater, especially in terms of doing things in different languages than it is on the Lightning Network. And it's going to be a while before it gets there. And until then, you're, people are going to go to where they can find tutorials because let's be honest, if you're a developer, the majority of how you developer, develop is you look at tutorials about types of things you're trying to do and then piecemeal it together to get to where you're trying to go until it works. And it's not necessarily the best route of, 
of developing, but it's certainly the way everyone does it. And if you don't have tutorials, you don't have tooling and tutorials on how to use that tooling, then no one's going to use it because there aren't enough developers that are capable of picking it up at that level. There's not enough stack overflow questions mm -hmm. to answer all your, your simple problems that you have along the way. You're never mm -hmm. going to get anything done and you're going to drop it and move on to something that you can get done. And mm -hmm. that is what will continue to happen. And the rate at which the Ethereum platform continues to provide that for developers grows and grows and grows, which makes me believe that developers will probably stay there unless they're heavily incentivized to go elsewhere. That's the only way EOS got people to develop on EOS or try to develop on EOS is because they paid them a shitload of money to do so so that they can say we have apps on our platform because we paid developers a ton of money to try and put apps on our platform as opposed to people who are curious about the technology who wanted to figure out how the stuff works playing around and building what they thought would be cool because they could because it was easy. Mm-hmm. interesting stuff that's my I that's think. my opinionated viewpoint on things i still think there's a lot of people who really really believed in bitcoin but were too tarnished from all of the fork debating that moved over to ethereum and now that that seems to be dwindling it looks like they can work on both like joseph poem looks like he works on both yeah and they're the ones working on the type of stuff that can work across the board and I think that's incredibly important. Like, don't get me wrong. I want developers to work on Bitcoin. I want the improvements that are coming up in the pipeline to go through on, on Bitcoin. Schnorr signatures, mm -hmm. bulletproofs, uh, cross-chain bridges, any type of thing that you can build to make Bitcoin easier to use, more efficient, more scalable, cheaper, I want. Because I want Bitcoin to succeed. I just don't think it's the only thing that's going to succeed. Like Rootstock has been, you know, in the pipeline for years now mm -hmm. and we still haven't seen it. And, and we've gone through le multiple levels of iteration with new improvements in Ethereum in terms of like, in, like the idea of Plasma and then initial Plasma, minimum viable Plasma implementations from mm -hmm. a couple different people within months. And... I don't know if that's, that means that it's just harder to build on the bottom layer of Bitcoin, so it takes more time and it's slower, or they're just not doing it properly. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It, it, it bothers me, but I want these things to work to live on Bitcoin, and they probably will at some point. But you have to ask the question is like, when they do get there, is it going to be relevant anymore? That's another important question to ask is the timing aspect. By the time it's the Bitcoin, will somebody have already done it and it gained traction? That's the thing. So I just wanted to talk to Bitcoin and the awesome things that are happening in Bitcoin because everybody thinks it's so boring. But it's not boring anymore. I just don't think people are paying attention to it because it's just there. You know, it's like price is boring. Just there. <laughs> well, I mean, the price of Bitcoin determines the price of everything else. So this was this was like I'm glad you brought that up, Cello. Uh, like that's something that I've been struggling with in terms of the, the like how important is price? Um, because it's not it's never been 
the main priority for me. But I don't want that to be misconstrued as it's not important because it's incredibly important to have potential value in what you build on a system inherent to that system. And we've seen, I think, the success of the open networks of Bitcoin and Ethereum is because it has a price and developing on them and making an application that has potential to make money because it's on this platform is incre incredibly attractive. Whereas, and so that leads to the like open source community developing on things because you can make money off of it. And that then furthers this, the rate of the development. And if we look at the opposite of that, a blockchain system that doesn't have money built into it, like digital scarcity built into the foundation of how it works, aka Hyperledger, you don't have near the development on a system like that. Or like no one's going to Hyperledger meetups. No one's talking about these things and writing blog posts about it. If they are, it's not near the amount of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And so that makes the development of the open source project lag and you can't build things because the only people who are talking about it are the developers that are forced to do it in enterprise setting because that's what was sold to them. And that's the project that got greenlit and that's the project that they're going to build, but they don't give a shit about going to meetups and getting passionate and trying to talk to people. That kind of social aspect of getting excited about these things, which is, I think, underlined by the potential of profit and money is a really important aspect of how like these networks tick. Yeah. I agree. I think D just went somewhere. I think a dog is messing with his audio equipment. And so he oh. walked away. Can I get your take on what McAfee said this week regarding the bull market? What do you say? Who gives a shit? What do you say? Oh, I I don't I don't give a shit. I just I want to see a vein on your forehead pop up and throb. So you just really um, want to see me angry, which I don't. <laughs> you try on your hardest. I think it's your personal mission to make me angry. I don't think I'm gonna succeed with the McAfee quote, but I just want you to I don't entertain it for a second. He he said when asked by a young man when the bull market will begin, he said, "Let me remind you of the legendary story. A young bull says to the old bull." Let's run down to the field and fuck one of the cows. And the old bull says, let's walk down there and then fuck them all. Oh, <laughs> what, the, what the hell? That's he is so like good. one of the weirdest people <laughs> in existence right now. Like he That's could be so one good. of the most enigmatic, weird individuals that should no one should ever listen to with any like real like belief but it's 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 really entertaining like you want to get your popcorn out to see what the hell this weird man does that's and... a great quote <laughs> Dimitri likes it I like it who, who responds with something like that <laughs> I would I would head nod in appreciation of it <laughs> That was, just, that's a solid quote. That's a I would just quote. laugh and go, God, you're fucking crazy, and then I'd walk away. <laughs> I wouldn't give him any dap or anything, but I it's would just like, head nod and say, yeah, that's I good. Think, I think he is the like textbook definition of awesome because the types of things leave you in awe from 
stupidity, not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> but he's gone the show. through so much, and he has so much money that people like, like give him the benefit of the doubt. John yeah. McAfee's one of those guys. Like, if you ever find yourself in a random prison in a random country, he's probably in there. Yeah, <laughs> you'd like, be real happy if like, he was. Like, you'd just be like, "Oh hell yeah, this is gonna be entertaining." Yeah. How did I get put in prison in Namibia? How is this possible? McAfee? What the fuck are you doing here? Oh, yeah. Crazy story. So it starts off like this. <laughs> what? Or like he's this the type awful. of guy at the prison that's like, I got an idea. I'm going to I'm going to saw my hand off and then file my <laughs> bone down and stab the guard. What do you think? You're like, You're like what? Uh, <laughs> I think there's better options. Too late. <laughs> All right. I'm out. Right, I worked. Uh, well, it's a good time to cut to the interview. We had a pretty long roundtable at the front. Um, drop, drop the, drop the fire, Cello. Right, I'm about to, about to drop some pre rolls for you. Uh, this interview is supported by Horizon Communications. Countries around the world have been plagued with below par internet and telecommunications services. This is due to aging equipment expensive to install infrastructure and national disasters. So Horizon Communications is the solution to this with the planned deployment of next generation internet service equipment. And they have announced the launch of the pre-sale. The company plans to roll first roll out high speed mm -hmm. internet and cellular services in the Caribbean and the Central America and the token generation event issues their uh, little Horizon token. And uh, buyers get a number of benefits from paying for services with the token, access to enterprise-level services and support, and a quarterly dividend paid in Ethereum. Conceived by a veteran information technology and telecom expert. In fact, me and D had a conversation with a guy, uh, Gilbert Darrell. The company boasts a strong team, mm -hmm. and they're going to build the next-generation ISP service. Uh, this episode, uh, lastly, is brought to you by Trade.io, a next-generation blockchain-based financial exchange. And thanks to their loyal participants for contributing over $31 million for its ICO. The crypto community has asked for an industry-leading crypto exchange made by crypto traders for crypto traders. No more waiting for account verification. No more interruptions of services during peak trading times. No more frustrating interfaces. Trade.io slash sign up. Join the trading revolution. Mm -hmm. Sign up. Hassle-free today. Uh, and then also horizoncom.co. I forgot to tell you the website yeah. for them. So I think that was a long Horizon. plug. Yeah, cool. we're we're done with that. Um, our interview is with Cora, the Cora Network, the building a more inclusive financial system on the blockchain through infrastructure for community-owned financial service ecosystems. The goal is to provide low-cost, universal access to financial services for everybody. Uh, and we are talking with Mao Mao Hu who has a really interesting background, a uh, really cool interview. And Wait, his last name's who? Who? H-U? I'm sure there's a correct way to Does pronounce that, about... but that's how an American would say it. Does he know about Mike Jones? Who? Who? Mike Jones? Who? Mike Jones. <laughs> it's going down. <laughs> Day, Mal, Mal. All right, here it is. All right, guys, today's uh, episode has a really good guest, a really good one. Mama, who 
co-founder and COO of Cora, uh, the Cora Network, which ended its $1 million private token placement a couple months ago, back in December. And now they've kind of come on the show to provide an update on themselves, the company, and what they would like to achieve in the future. Because starting April 2nd, the ever important public sale starts. So, uh, now could you introduce yourself and kind of how your career pivoted to this space, what attracted you to it, how you wish to succeed, all that good stuff? Yeah. So I'm Mao Mao. Um, yeah. Send. So I actually started off, I don't know what it says in my bio, but I started off as a graphic designer. So um, I started doing graphic design in, in middle school and uh, I went to college to get a degree in graphic design. I didn't, I didn't learn anything in college. Um, I mean, I learned a lot working in the city, um, but then, so I went to school in, in New York City and uh, in Occupy Wall Street happened here. And I was like, man, these guys have a really good point. You know, why is it that some people get all the money and some people don't? I just didn't think they had a very coherent solution. Um, I think that's fair, you know, because the problem that they're trying to tackle is, is a pretty tricky one. And so I kind of just, I gradually fell out of, I got disillusioned with design. And by the time I graduated, I decided to make a career change actually into financial services, which is tricky because I had a degree in graphic design. And so I got really lucky and I got hired at this management consulting firm as a graphic designer. I worked there for all of two weeks before getting shipped off to uh, to Morgan Stanley for almost a year. Um, and then the other thing is that I had the, the opportunity to, so, um, after a few months at the firm, um, I was, I was, um, I was getting drinks with our COO and we were talking about AI for like a solid like three hours. And then I was like, Patrick, we've been talking about AI for three hours. Um, why don't we have an AI practice? He was like, work, we're going to have one very soon. I was like, can I lead it? He was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so I ended up like leading this AI practice. And so that's kind of how I really got my foray into, into like new technologies for financial services. Um, got really deep into AI. And I also had like, you know, my counterpart was essentially someone doing the exact same thing as me, but for blockchain. And so that's also how I got my first foray into blockchain too. I didn't really get serious with blockchain until uh, until 2016, um, when I was doing doing research on blockchain for this other startup that I joined. So I left the consulting firm, joined a startup, and I was like, "Man, this this space has really advanced a lot since since the days when we're going around going to banks and saying, oh, it's not Bitcoin, it's blockchain. It's like it finally meant something now.' And um, in 2017, I finally made a jump. You know, I'd co-founded an AI startup, and it wasn't really working out. And I made a jump over to blockchain um, to solve, well, you know, kind of to solve the problem that I had noticed with Occupy Wall Street so many years ago, which is that wealth is unevenly distributed. And, um, and that's what we're, what we're working on these days. Beautiful. That beautiful transition into my question. What the hell is Quora? <laughs> so Quora, Quora is really about, it's very simple, really. It's, it's about equal access to financial services regardless of the, the amount of wealth you have, regardless of, you know, whether you're in, if you have the internet, whether you have a smartphone, whether you're in a city or in a country, uh, no matter what nation you're in, it's equal access to financial services. And to us, 
you know, we were like, to us, so we've been working on Quora for almost a year now, and it became an economic problem where it's like people aren't unbanked because there's not technology to do it or because there's not will to do it. It's, it's simply not profitable to do so. And so it's not sustainable to keep them banked either side. It's like, it's, it's expensive to be poor in many places. And so Quora is, it's, you know, the Quora blockchain is really just an open access banking infrastructure where it's, it's everything you need to run a bank, you know, the general ledger and, uh, and CRM systems and KYC and AML systems and money transfer systems, lending systems and whatever. It's just stuff that we, that's open source that we just build and run on the blockchain and make it accessible to anyone. And the idea is to really make it, uh, to lower the cost to serve for financial services providers and to make it profitable to serve, you know, underserved people, uh, to serve lower income people. So that's really what the Core Network's all about. I got a question for you. You're going to have a pretty big hurdle. Um, Because I went to the bank recently. I had to. Like, and I hate when I'm cornered into a point where it's like, fuck, I have to go to the bank. So I went to the bank, and there was a line of people. And all those people in that line didn't know how to use their mobile banking app, which you can go ahead and extrapolate that further. They have no idea how a bank works. So how are you going to get people to figure out how a bank works to use a general purpose blockchain that does all the things a bank can do when people have no idea how banks work? Well, it's, it's a really good question about, it basically boils down to education, but to us, that actually really hasn't been much of an issue. So in the markets that we deal with, um, like mobile banking is, is really quite common. Um, you know, they're using emerging markets where they basically just started with emerge with mobile banking. And, um, yeah, and people are familiar with like mobile wallets and how to like cash out at like agent agents or cash out at like airtime dealers or whatever. So, um, yeah, educating people on how we don't go around and say, Hey, this is a blockchain system. And here's how I keep everything business fault tolerant. Here's how we run infrastructure. We just say, here's how we help you get paid. And you take this code and you take this pin and you go to that guy and he gives you cash or the other way around. And that part is quite easy to understand. Um, I guess it kind of boils down to UX kind of thing where you really want to hide this complexity from the user. And that's, I guess that's the trick that we're applying here. So if I could piggyback off of these question, I think human nature dictates that people are resistant to change. So even though you're providing a better way for these unbanked people to transfer money between parties or accepting payments from buyers, allowing them to grow their income while protecting it against these risks, they may not go for it. So I get you're educating them, but how are you marketing this to them in a way that they understand and a way to communicate that, hey, we can deepen your quality of life. We can break the cycle of poverty. Let us deploy these services upon you. What, what's the strategy behind that? That's a, that's a non-issue for us. It's a, it's a non-issue for us because it's like the alternative, like, so we're, we're live in Nigeria and the alternative is to drive two and a half hours to the city and get a bag of cash and drive back. Right. So mm-hmm. the alternative is, is just so bad that it, yeah, it's a non-issue or like in Peru where we're deploying the alternatives get paid 30 days later or to get paid now or get paid 30 days later. You know, it's once it affects your business and your livelihood that much, people will adapt. So you didn't have to identify any problems that, let's say Nigerian citizens are exposed to You're not worried about that. You don't have to dive that deep. You're just, am I understanding that correctly? Well, there, there's many problems that 
it's well, it's very complex. Let me put it this way: the biggest issue that we ran into was regulatory. Was how can we get regulatory cover to do all of this? The actual UX side, like we we happen to operate in markets that are so underserved that anything is better than nothing, or like anything is better than the options that are out there right now. And so like demand, like user adoption, these were these are the least of our problems. It's really like how can we operate legally in these areas that that has been the the biggest challenge for us. I'm curious as to like <clears throat> technologically speaking, why choose, why make your own blockchain? Why not why not leverage the existing blockchains that currently exist? What is it about yours that you needed to build something new? Because what's what's like pivotal about creating a blockchain is that you're creating a community of people and the more the larger your community is the more relevant your blockchain is like why not leverage the size of the communities of other blockchains to then make on-ramping so much easier what did you need to change about what they're doing in order to make what you're doing successful i disagree i disagree that blockchains are about creating communities blockchains are creating Blockchains are about replicating data structures in Byzantine environments. And I mean, none of the blockchains out there give us the level of data privacy we need while also remaining auditable. Um, very few of the blockchains out there give us the level of scale we need. Um, none of them give us the flexibility we need. And, and yeah, it was, um, it was a pretty easy decision. It was like, can we use any of these guys? No? Okay, well, let's figure something else out. And that, if that's the case, then like, how are you solving the problems that they're not? Because with scale, that's that's a it's a universal problem across all open, trustless blockchains because the technology simply isn't there yet. Are you saying you have the solution to scaling a blockchain to worldwide usage? So there's a lot of people working on this problem. I think the we know that the, the design, the architecture that we have is actually a pretty common one. I think you're going to see a lot of blockchains with a similar architecture coming up. And so at the bottom, we just run, we run um, a delegated proof of stake mainnet. And GPOS is pretty fast. It, it basically, I mean, it's been around since like 2013. It, it's this trick where there are some consensus algorithms that are really, really fast in the sense that they have, they're low latency. Um, so long as you can s define exactly who the validators are. And, and then you make this token and, and people hold the token. Um, they vote on the validators, and that's how you like have decentralized ownership of who is you know inside this magic validator set. And it's been around since 2013, and we're running a variant of that. We're running it for a consensus algorithm that's also very fast, uh, called Tendermint. Mm -hmm. um, that's what so, Cosmos is built off of. Exactly. Yeah, Cosmos is an awesome project. It is. And um, and so that's how we deal with the mainnet, but we don't put actually any. Uh, personal data on the mainnet. We don't put any financial data on the mainnet. What we do is we all the actual transactions happen in this this thing we call a mesh that happens above the mainnet. And so what happens is that all the counterparties to a transaction, they form this like very small private consensus round where only they are privy to all the data in there. They, and they all have to reach consensus. Um, which, by the way, is basically how financial agreements work today anyway. Like, I agree with you, and then my bank also agrees with your bank, and that's how stuff gets done. And then in America, the Fed also agrees on everything, but that happens at the end. And, um, and so that private consensus round happens, and then we stick the um, – so each person keeps a copy of the transaction, keeps it in their own personal data server, uh, and then we hash that. 
So you, you can't really like, you can't go backwards. You can't actually identify any data from it. And we stick the hash onto the mainnet. And the reason we do that is because if you, if for example, you're reaching consensus with someone and there's a dispute, then you both just go back to the hash and say, no, at this point in time, this hash was reduced with this timestamp, sign with your private key. So, you know, it's yours. Um, so that's, that's how we saw. And that actually, so our mainnet does about like 6,000, 10,000 seconds per second. Um, but we actually have like theoretical infinite scale on top, right? Because people are just connecting peer to peer with everyone else. Um, and that's how we deal with data privacy because only you actually see your data. And we also encrypt it with your private key. So that's an extra layer of security on top. Um, and it's very common. It's starting to become a very common design architecture. Um, zero chain, which is a project we're a big fan of. They're more IOT. They're doing this. Um, Enacom, E-N-N-E-C-O-M, I think. They're doing something like this. Um, yeah, I think a lot more people are going to do something like this because it really utilizes the blockchain as what it really is, which is just a trust machine and a decentralized timestamp server. And just, you know, it, it's, it's silly to keep like all the data on chain, I think. You're seeing a lot of projects move off towards like finding local consensus and then rooting back into the main chain for the ultimate layer of trust. That allows them to scale in a lot of the ways that they couldn't beforehand, which also means that you're not you know, immediately timestamping your 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 donut purchase for their history for the rest of the world. That makes sense. Sorry, could, could yeah, you... yeah, there's no there's no reason to put some transactions into the base layer of of trust of, of global trust because the the necessity to do so isn't there. I don't need to let everyone know for all eternity that I bought a donut. And so, well, you don't need to put the entire transaction there, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like it's it's you you, you develop over. local local consensus or local trust with the people who you're working with, and then you yeah. then you can hash a form of that fingerprint of transaction, and you know that gets embedded up further and further up into a tree that finally finds itself onto the main chain in some form or fashion. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could also do what uh, what Factum does and just hash into Bitcoin every 10 minutes okay. of the global state of the entire Factum network. And you know, they've been around for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, just to play devil's advocate, though, it's not like you're telling someone you bought a donut. You're just putting your transaction on the blockchain. Now, if somebody ever asks, did you buy that donut? You can go to the blockchain and say, yeah, I bought the donut. See, it's right there. This was that guy's address. This is mine. I think we get caught up in the verism of that argument sometimes. Um, nevertheless, I'd still with you guys thinking that that's a transaction that's not significant at all, right? Nobody cares where I get my flaming hot Cheetos from, and if they do, that's weird. So, <laughs> well, on. I mean, so where's if you want to prove it, it you can still prove it. You just have to like, go to your personal data server and yeah. take out data that you own and. Well, I guess the person you bought it from also owns it. So when you say when you say cash. personal data server, and we also bring into the idea that these are all this is this is the, the the purpose of what you're doing is to include people who don't have financial infrastructure, which is leapfrogging current infrastructure, which means that these people basically have primitive smartphones. What data server are they running? How does how does that work? It can be anything. I mean, if you have your own hardware, that's fine. Otherwise, just 
for our customers, we just, our end users, we just run them all on S3. Mm -hmm. But they can, you can build a self-sustaining ecosystem where people can access the network, but they don't need phones or apps, right? So you can yeah. build, they can access the network without them having a network. Yeah, I mean, we just run everything. I mean, at some point, someone has to run a node. Yeah. You know, um, but they can be situated in a city or even in a different country um, and just run the services like any cloud provider. And yeah, they can just call it with like a thin client. Hmm. So let's flip the script. Let's talk about this artificial intelligence. First, tell the audience like why it's not well marketed if then statements just like just give them a rundown like what artificial intelligence is and then like how are you guys leveraging that with your project we're not see a lot of AI company <laughs> we're not oh you're not <laughs> no oh, it's where he came from the man AI guy oh. i mean that was my last startup i can talk about ai if you want it's got nothing and to do with the current business ignore no. that last question <laughs> fail <laughs> question I thought you were. That's I misread. That's a that's a fail blog. That's a fail blog. Sorry. And AI is dope. <laughs> you know. <laughs> there we go. That's all we need to AI. say. Yeah. AI is dope. All right. Moving on. So, what do you see? Where do you see Core going over the next, let's say, five months? That's a, that's a long time in in the, in the blockchain space. But if you're a good project, you have some type of roadmap associated with that with that time frame. What are y'all trying to do? Yeah. Five. I, I see us going to Peru, Tanzania, and Bangladesh, which is our next three betas. And so in Peru, we're working with coffee exporters, um, help them get paid. So in coffee, there's net 30 with exporters, where the farmer gets paid 30 days after. It's actually net 360 from the exporter to roaster, where they get paid a year later. So that's an even bigger issue, but you know, once at a time. And um, and then in, in Tanzania, we're like, we're building this co-op around um, this village that has an unused kill um, that makes like ceramics and they're not using it because, you know, basically incentive structures where they don't trust that, well, a bunch of reasons. Basically, the last time they did it, the accountant got rich and everyone else got poor and some people embezzled money and just didn't, didn't end very well and they kind of got burned. Um, so this is round two, right? Because with the blockchain, you actually get a ton of transparency if you can design a system properly. In the right way, and um, in Bangladesh, it's uh, it's not a co-op. This one is a lot bigger. It's got thirty-five thousand people, and you know when we engaged with them originally, it was just because everything they're doing is just on pen and paper, uh, which is kind of an issue when you have fifty branches, and they just want to like, get it all on some kind of database so they could audit it quickly and quickly morphed into, oh wait, now we can do <laughs> the one thing they're doing that's super cool is like supermarket vouchers, so. They like sell a lot of produce supermarkets and they're, they're producing these vouchers where any member of the co-op can go out and get a guaranteed basket of goods you know, every week. Um, so it's almost like a universal basic income kind of thing they're doing for, for their members. And um, they're doing all kinds of cool shit. And we're basically building their, uh, their core banking systems. Mm. Well, I like that you guys have something live going on in Nigeria. That's a good place to start something like this because... Uh, well, like you said, they something is better than nothing. And right now they have nothing. So last question. This is a tough one. Um, in 10 words or less, you describe AI. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke. In 10 <laughs> words or less, can you describe? I can do it. I can do it. 
AI, AI is making computers do things that people see in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. That's nine words. Good job. Good job. That, that means he's going to be even up. better at the blockchain version of that. In 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? Yeah. Blockchains are systems that replicate data in Byzantine environments. Mm-hmm. I'd okay. call that an appropriate That's answer. 10. That's 10 on the dot. That's pretty damn good. Um, right. The audience, you got homework. You're going to have to go Google, what is a Byzantine environment? Come into our Slack and we'll talk about it. Okay. Well, as someone that has a graphic design degree myself, and I don't really like my industry, I, you're my hero for pivoting and doing something <laughs> you love. I'm in a career that's Thanks, man. It's going. So you're awesome. There's always hope, man. <laughs> Thank you. I'll remember that next time I have a bad day. <laughs> All right, man, Mom. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I look forward to seeing what happens with Dell's project, and I hope that you get to include all of these people who don't have financial infrastructure um, into into the world of sweet, sweet banking to allow them to, to join the global commerce. Sweet. Thanks, guys. That's, that's the goal. We'll see about right. it. Cheers, man. Thank thanks, you. Mom. Cheers. All right. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you later. Bye. And that was the interview with. Mao Mao who? Mao Mao. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. That was good. <laughs> um so what I enjoyed the most about that interview is when we asked him the ten words or less, and he said no. Can yeah. you describe it in ten words or less? He said, No, I cannot. That's a better answer than like disregarding the criteria of that question and just talking which mm. more than half of the guests do my favorite part yeah. of that interview was when d was like so how do you incorporate tell us about ai and he's like why we don't use that i don't do that anymore and he's somebody like, misread the show oh, card. <laughs> my bad uh good project well, check them out <clears throat> was was there um Anything that you guys wanted to discuss in particular? Yeah. Go for it. Uh, Coinbase is going to become an SEC-regulated brokerage pretty soon. Oh, That's yeah. major news, guys. Yeah, Coinbase is trying to be the bank of the future. The trend, Point blank well, period. They've always, been, they've always been compliant. And... They're definitely a business, right? They're a forward-looking business. They say, like, how mm-hmm. do we capture the largest audience of people who want to get into this space while providing an easy user experience and being compliant? I feel like that's, like, written on the walls of Coinbase in, like, bright colored letters, you know? That's, like, the, the company mantra. And that's not surprising. I mean, good, I guess? Or... I don't know. Maybe it means they'll have better tooling to figure out how much taxes I owe from using Coinbase. I, th- I think it's it's good because SEC is involved with ICOs recently. I think they're trying to understand the stuff. So I think it's going to be a while before they approve another. I think, because I, I know Circle and Polynex are trying to do the same. I think Coinbase is going to beat them. And I don't think there's going to be another one for a while. Well, if I, if I go from a perspective of... Um a company that's trying to maintain its existence, this is the correct step to take because 
based on the way those companies are structured. They're very centralized. And if we've learned anything from Napster, it's easy to shut down a centralized entity. And since like, yeah, cool. They're allowing you to deal with decentralized currencies. But Coinbase and Poloniex and most exchanges that currently exist are centralized, which means that governments can shut them down. And so if you'd like to maintain your existence as one of these centralized entities, it's within your best interest to do these types of things. That shouldn't mm -hmm. be surprising to anybody. Yeah, they're trying to play nice. And I think that Cello, contrary to what you say, Coinbase isn't going to beat Circle because Circle bought someone who already has the infrastructure and is already exchanging all of these different currencies, all these different assets. Coinbase is so slow to adopt new ones. Yeah, but then so they're Coinbase like, is, then they're hmm? like beta get delayed three times or something. Who? Uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, was it three cash or Polynix? You just, I don't know. You don't hear much news coming out of them anymore. It's just Coinbase. You never hear stuff. news coming out of Polo. Them getting bought by Circle was like the only news they've ever had. Polo operates in silence, like the G's in lasagna. It was a silence. Mm -hmm. um, but I think they're doing what Coinbase always does, which is make money moves. I mean, and customer service can only get better. They're trying so hard, but can you imagine how difficult customer service is, is for, for something like this? For crypto, it's got to be dreadfully hard. Like, I remember during that weird FUD that was going on, where China was making a run and making Bcash be the king and the Bcash price was spiking and Bitcoin's price was dumping. And I like tried to walk my brother through selling in selling some of his stuff and sitting on the sidelines. It was such a pain in the ass. We just ended up not doing anything. I was like, okay, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm done with this. You j let's just cross our fingers and hope for the best. So, um, well, I but, didn't want, I didn't want like news like this to be like an echo chamber. I wanted, I want, like these are, like where's the price movement when stuff like this is released? And these are questions that people should ask every time good news is released because the market is sitting flat at two hundred fifty billion. Why though? Does it's the good. general public not care? It's not the general public doesn't have moving capabilities of the price. Yeah, and then also it was like that's a. That's a game that's fruitless. We've tried. Like, uh, people have been trying to, to make money off good news for a long time now, and they are all broke now. That's butterfly effect stuff. The price moves before the news comes out. So when people are like, whenever you see an article that's like, Bitcoin dropped 7% because of John McAfee going to prison in Thailand. You're like, what? That's not even, that doesn't make any sense. Huh. Like, there's, you can't tie price movement to the news. By the time the news hits, the price already moved the way it was going to move. But if this gives validation to Coinbase and validation to crypto, won't it make investing in crypto seem like less of a scam to Main Street investors who are willing to jump on board? So just specifically talking this news story, shouldn't that kind of move the needle a little bit? Absolutely. But, I mean, we're so early that it's like news stories like this don't mm -hmm. hit enough people or have enough of an effect to do price movement. The people who are actually capable of like moving enough money to move the price along these things either already know because they're having discussions about these things months before it actually hits the news or 
aren't reading it yet. And so it, it, it's not mm-hmm. something that's, you can't follow the news and expect price to follow it too. I've tried doing that. I even tried making algorithms to track it and make correlations between price movement and influencers within the space. And it's, it's one of the, I mean, there may be some correlation, but it's not going to be the major correlation because in my opinion, the majority of the price movement is done through back, you know, backroom deals uh, that are never publicized. Mm-hmm. It's, That's the, the, market's, the market's too small, especially right now. Like when the markets are so small in comparison to the majority of like real financial money, then it's people who are just making back in deals and making decisions that they're not going to talk about or publish because it's probably considered insider trading that actually move the market. And then overall, over time, things get better and better and better and utility becomes more of an issue. And that like changing the way people use the currency has more of an effect on how the price moves. But for now, it's, it's I think, in my opinion, a few small key players making, or like relatively few small key players, and then everyone else along for the ride. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, I I stay in it because I know the potential of where this could end up, and I'm making a bet that these small fluctuations are nothing in comparison to what it will be in the far future. If I was trying mm-hmm. to watch the market, and like I was worried about the the far future and only thinking about the near future and how things perform, I would not be in this would not be in this whatsoever. Yeah. One thing that I don't get about investors though, or when I when I can spot someone who doesn't know about investing and does is and they're asking you questions like, you know, are you worried about the volatility, blah 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 blah. Because like if you okay, if you have like a family, like a hardcore family and you've got your retirement set up, then then you shouldn't really be like worried about investing. If you are worried about investing, you're you're just adding stress to your life that you don't need. The reason to the way to alleviate that stress is to pick a certain amount that you are going to dump into and then let it set it and forget it. Because I think that just don't get me wrong, from the outside looking in, if you're a super duper family man, then you've committed to some sort of boredom in your life because you've got to kind of be like it's extreme boredom is what i call it like you gotta you're not doing anything extravagant it's a pretty conservative lifestyle you got kids to raise like talking about me, bro? You, i'm talking i'm talking about all family men so yes like it's extreme boredom it's not like you can it's not a out. bad Sorry. thing is it a bad <laughs> thing you're raising your kids like you've got to you know, you do the same things every day, so the kids get the. It's extreme, the same. That's that's what it is. And so, like, if that's already the life you're committed to, why in the hell are you so worried about the ups and downs in Bitcoin? If you bought some Bitcoin, just let it sit and stop asking me about what's happening with the price. Like, and if you're gonna do, if you're gonna, your bet, your time is better spent researching what the technology is doing and how it's developing than asking me why the price is down or why the price is up every week. Like China. Yeah. China. China. Huge. 
But anyways, uh, all in a nutshell, Coinbase is making money moves. That's what Coinbase does. They're going to be investing in companies now through Coinbase Ventures. So, um, you know, they made how many billions of dollars last year, and they're trying to make sure they can keep making money. So, yeah. Stop checking your blockfolio and raise your kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moral yeah. of the story. Checking the story is, is like for, it's in terms of Coinbase, don't expect them to be for the customer. They may say that stuff on the outside, but they're making moves that, that they can maintain a business and make money as a business. Yep. Uh, people who are, who are for the customer, who only care about customers' rights and protection for real, are doing things like making decentralized exchanges that they can't control once they exist. But yep. Yep. Real people who care about the end user are now capable of building systems that they can't control once they get started. And they're only controlled by the users so that it gets used the way it's supposed to get used if built correctly. So any centralized service that is trying to provide things like Coinbase does is doing it as a private business making money. And their decisions will be aligned pri with priorities towards making money. And then mm -hmm. their existence. And so when they do things, you have to assume that that's what they're doing. Very rarely do you find a centralized business that's out there, you know, really altruistically. He's not, he's not speaking fallacies, speaking the truth, audience. Hope you're listening. So, speaking of which, let's wrap it up. Yeah. So if you're picking up what we're putting down, subscribe to this podcast feed. Make sure you listen to Corey's new show, Hashing It Out. It's on the different feeds, so you're going to have to search for an iTunes. Um, let's see. It's not an iTunes jet. I don't think it's an iTunes jet. It's not? On Spotify. It's on Spotify, and you can find it's it on, on the main, main website, bitcoinpodcast.com. All right. Um, did we have any other shows go out? We had a buy or sell. Buy or sell went out. And also, uh, DJ NES's Crypto Till Infinity dropped. So go take a listen to those. Our boy Reese um, building a feature, humanistic feature of. If, uh, uh, it's a good one. <laughs> We're just going to leave it there. And that's be the new title of the show. He interviewed Sandra Rowe. I do know that. I did listen to the episode. It's good. I just. The, the name is pretty Skibbity roo, skibbity ba ba. <laughs> all, all quality shows. Skinnamarinky dinky do. Skinnamarinky d. Reese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what else do we do? Um, join the Slack. It's... Yeah, join the Slack. Come kick oh. it with us. Yeah, despite having a lot more a lot more members, we keep getting more members, but the, the conversation has been uh, only held by a few people, and I'd like more people to be in there so that we can uh, keep it going. Yeah. The number of Shout members keeps Alan. rising, but there's only a few people that talk. Alan is one of those people, and he talks. And it's yeah, good. but Alan's on the other side of the world from us, so he's always talking at like near midnight. <laughs> so yeah, I'm always it's a good like conversation. Damn. Like it, he, he's he's an active member of the community, and I like that. I always I like want to respond to him, but if I respond to him, I go down that rabbit hole, and then it's like, okay, now I'm going to bed at two a.m. <laughs> so he says like, something about toilets and woodies, and Colin was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I was laughing so hard at that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good conversation. 
Um, <laughs> Stupid. I can't wait to unveil all the little projects that we've been working on, side projects for the last few months. Those are going to be good. I hope you guys enjoy them. Um, well, keep your head up, Justin, son. Yeah, keep your head up, Justin. Shout out to uh, Zoe Saldana, of course. Uh, we gotta go see I know you're working out there. Infinity Wars. We see you in Infinity Wars. I know you got all three lines in that movie, but I will pay attention to every line. That's Thanos' daughter, man. Should be good. I want to get this. I want to get this figured out. Is it Thanos or Thanos? Tomato, tomato. Or Thanos. Thanos, Thanos, or Thanos? I say Thanos. Thanos. I've heard them say Thanos more than I've heard them say Thanos. Thanos. What was was the third one you said? Thanos, Thanos, Thanos. or Thanos? (laughs) Thanos. I've heard them say Thanos the most. I'll have to watch the movie and find out. Okay. Watch the movie, find out. Um... Play the outro. Wednesday? How's your guys Wednesday? Uh, productive, to say the least, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, how's our Wednesday? Yeah, it's been solid, man. That's some oatmeal. Oh, shit, man. It's always a good day when you can that's, that's get that oatmeal. oatmeal. You, get, yeah, you put some cinnamon in your oatmeal, some like brown sugar, or you just like choke that down and it's straight? This conversation I like, sir. <laughs> I use cinnamon <laughs> and... Uh, I actually use Splenda because I'm okay with cancer. Splenda? Who the fuck uses Splenda? What are you, 80? Um, you know what? You know what? I'm so judgmental. Sorry, um, that's what I do. I judge people. <laughs> yeah, I use a little, I put a little uh, Metamucil in there. Yeah. Um, you sound like a guy that puts uh, pineapple on his pizza. <laughs> I do, actually. Uh, um, most recently, I had pepperoni. Pineapple and jalapeno pizza.